Recording in progress. We are located, all of us, on ancestral lands. I'm here in Marin County. Beautiful, bountiful gift basket of land, ocean, and sky. It's unceded, traditional, ancestral and contemporary homelands of the Coast Miwok, the Pomo, the Wapo people, the Southern Pomo, and the Great Rancheria tribes. As I was talking with some Native people this week, preparing for the Indigenous Peoples' Day ceremony, we were talking about land acknowledgments and this wonderful man who uh, is kind of my co-pilot this year uh, said, we never really thank the land, do we? So please do that. And then he also said that since we are going to be um, inviting children this year to be on the Zoom ceremony, he said, let the kids do the land acknowledgement. Let them talk about the land. So I'm excited about that, and I wrote the last few sentences here. We thank this land, infinitely generous, forever teaching us to listen deeply to wisdom and compassion of our ancestors, the kinship of all our relations, of all sentient beings and non-sentient beings on this Mother Earth. As I've been entering into the climate study and reading, I've been turning to who I think of as prophets and poets. So they're sprinkled all through this talk. Beginning, of course, with the fascicle that Norman spoke about last week, The Sound of the Streams, The Shape of the Mountains by Dogen and also David Hinton's book, Wild Mind, Wild Earth. And some of you have heard me speak the Sharon Olds Ode to Dirt, and some also heard those Roger Payne recordings of the songs of the humpback whales. And as we've entered into all of that, we've been composing our own odes, and there'll be some time after the talk or more people who'd like to do them. I've heard from a couple of people. Our odes, sometimes praise songs, sometimes lamentations, remembering our kinship with stars and animals and dust, early girl tomatoes, birds, mycelium. David Hinton says, our kinship seems to know no bounds. And in rediscovering that kinship, how can we help but discover vast and beautiful dimensions of ourselves that have been thought to be lost or close to extinction? 
our human consciousness woven profoundly through the planetary ecosystem. We're much more than we think we are, and much less. And that is a liberation of astounding proportions, says Hinton. We love this world, this living planet. We feel joy when life thrives, and grief when it suffers and dies. So I think I can share my screen. You might recognize her. I wrote my ode to Greta. So the first glimpse of Greta that the world saw in 2018 was as a tiny, grieving little girl with scowling face and scraggly, honey-colored hair sitting on the ground there, leaning against the gray granite wall of the Swedish parliament, dressed in her hoodie, her little leopard pants, holding a handmade cardboard sign that in Swedish says school strike. This image, really, she looked at first like a street waif, refusing to go to school until government power brokers could admit and do something about the mounting scientific evidence, the calamitous weather events of climate crisis. This simple image of a troubled child protesting unseen or ignored by almost every passerby as they entered and exited the great halls of government decision-making. This one image beamed around the world on CNN and BBC and Al Jazeera, entered into our collective imagination and eventually helped to spark a global movement for action against continuing to deny the disastrous realities of the crisis. She's only 14 years old in that picture, even though she looks much younger. She's really a teenager who, when talking about her Asperger's disease, considers her condition not an illness, but a gift, which enables her to call out and protest how the future life and well-being of the Earth of her generation and those in generations beyond hers are being robbed, ruined, stolen from by the denials of fake science, by greedy investors and corporations, by governments and individuals, unfortunately, also like us, who believe somehow that global markets are entitled to year after year of maximum growth and infinite prosperity. And even if we don't believe exactly that, we don't like to be uncomfortable. We want the supply chain to continue just as it has. But we know we have to make changes. And as this image imprinted itself upon the world's imagination, Greta became 
with support from her mother and her father, plus a photogenic rainbow parade, a movement of street chanting school striking children from diverse geographies and cultures. And Greta became a reluctant but determined young spokesperson for this awakening of climate crisis imagination. For people around the world with hearts breaking and fires burning through ancient forests and suburban neighborhoods. As Norman said last week, 55 days now of temperatures of 110 degrees or higher in Phoenix, 101 degrees of ocean water in Florida. And this week, whole villages swept into oblivion by flooding and dams collapsing in Libya. We've seen hurricanes, cyclones, droughts cracking the earth down to the mineral levels, and seas rising with glaciers collapsing in the heat. According to this morning's news, 98% of the world's population experienced the hottest June and hottest July on record. So that 98%, let's just call it all of us, can no longer be denying that the weather is changing, that the fires, that the ice, that the ocean water are telling us, wake up. So in this talk, I guess I wanted to talk about ancient teachings, how important it is to remember and consult and apply these teachings and to bring them together with new teachings and new teachers, with new ideas, to recognize ourselves as aging and also as possible reimaginers. We're not done. <laughs> we have plenty of time and we have things to do. Both Dogen and also Hinton talk about the similarities between ancient China and our world today. In Dogen's essay, The Sound of the Streams, The Shape of the Mountains, he refers to a poem, poem by a great poet of the Song Dynasty, Su Shi. And the opening lines of Su Shi's poem, which were his awakening lines, are, the sound of valley streams is the universal long, broad tongue, Buddha's long, broad tongue. The shape of the mountains is no other than the unconditioned body. So in that powerful first image of Greta, troubled and angry, she says she was horribly depressed at that time, hardly able to speak. She brings forward in us, though, the awakening, the imagining, perhaps, of her as an active source, an agent of awakened teaching. The Buddha Dharma's universal long, broad tongue, leaning up against the walls of the Swedish parliament, a voice of ultimate awareness, 
the very conditioned body of the Buddha. Our own present-day child bodhisattva hearing the cries of the world. We love this world, says David Hinton, and there is an unnoticed philosophical revolution inherent in that love. That revolution has been slowly unfolding over the last few centuries in the West, making possible our kindred love for wild earth's 10,000 things. It's a return to the Paleolithic understanding, the model of primal cultures, indigenous cultures, that helped drive this revolution from its beginnings nearly 4,000 years ago in China, where a wound very similar to our own defined human consciousness for, Paleolith for millennia. But in a vast cultural transformation in China, it was replaced by this Paleolithic paradigm that had survived beneath the surface of political power structures and corruption, a paradigm that revealed our total entanglement with existence everywhere, all through everything we are. And in this alternative paradigm, wild mind kindred to wild earth became the unthought assumption shaping all experience and ethics too. A fundamental cultural transformation in early China that makes a similar transformation seem possible here, right here. He reminds us that ancient Chinese society was so like ours in its fundamental structures, highly educated, intensely textual, with bureaucratic offices and centralized government cities a diversified market economy, sophisticated artistic and intellectual culture. But then, when the ancients remembered and revered the Tao, the Way, the name used for the cosmos as it was conceived of as a single living tissue, one being conceived as generative, as female, and mother, their relationships changed. Tao, in reality, said Hinton, in and of itself is magisterial and awe-inspiring, a pathway by which Earth's 10,000 things appear and disappear in an ongoing process of transformation, each emerging into existence evolving through life and then going out of existence only to be transformed and reemerge in a new form. Humans are just one among these 10,000 things. Robinson Jeffers in a wonderful poem says we must uncenter our minds from ourselves. We must unhumanize our views a little and become confident, confident as the rock and ocean that we are made from. We must uncenter our minds. So in many of his writings, as Dogen is trying to help us uncenter 
from our minds. <laughs> he celebrates the natural landscapes, what he calls sansui, which is literally mountains and waters in Japanese. And he sees this landscape as an inspiration, but also as an active source and agent of awakening teaching. The Buddha Dharma. In Norman's talk last week, he told us that Dogen refers to a poem by that great Song Dynasty poet, Su Shi, as a way of talking about sudden awakening, and then also gradual awakening. Su Shi was a major Chinese cultural figure celebrated for his calligraphy and his painting, as well as being a major statesman. But he was exiled from the capital twice due to politics. He became a Chan practitioner, Zen practitioner. And he's remembered now as one of China's greatest poets. Zen poets. And in his verse, he describes that realization I said before as the voice of ultimate awareness, the voice of the streams, the voice of the mountains, the form, shape, color of mountains being the body beyond condition of a Buddha. So could the images and sounds of Greta and that worldwide movement of climate activist children also be the very mountains and rivers pouring forth exalted inspiration? Could they be our awakening? Further on in Dogen's essay, when he talks about the sound and the valley streams and the form of the mountains, he begins to mention other traditional stories of awakening of teachers and students. He often speculates about how a teacher's words mixed with these sounds awaken the student, and then the impact of that teacher's words might not be immediate. They might take many years to come forth. And in reading that fascicle, I kept thinking about another Dogen fascicle that I love and that I've spoken about before called Bowing to Attain the Marrow. And that begins like this. At that time, when a person undertakes spiritual training and practice in order to realize Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi, that is, supreme, fully perfected enlightenment, it's extremely difficult to acquire a teacher and a guide. Whether that guiding master has the physical features of a male or a female or whatever is relevant. Sorry, is irrelevant. But it must be someone who is spiritually outstanding, one who is truly with it here and now. Whether he or she is someone of the past or a present-day person is of no matter even one who has the nagging manner of a, a wild fox may prove a good spiritual friend. For this is the countenance of one who has secured the very marrow, one who will be a spiritual guide and a benefit to you. 
And this is someone who does not deceive others about cause and effect, who will treat you, me, and others as spiritual equals. Once you have encountered such a teacher and guide, from then on you should discard your myriad involvements, cease frittering away your time, and devote yourself to diligently practicing the way. You should do your training and your practice, even though you may still be attached to discriminatory thinking. You should go beyond that. And even though you may be half-hearted in the attempt, study with urgency, as though you were extinguishing, extinguishing a fire on your head. Study with joy, hopefulness, as though you were standing on your tiptoes. Securing the marrow, communicating the dharma, inevitably depend on sincere devotion and a trusting heart. Sincerity and trust do not in the least come from outside ourselves, nor is there any place within from which they emerge. Simply, beyond doubt, those who have done this emphasize the dharma and play down themselves. These people flee society's world and make the path their dwelling place. Are we such people practicing with utmost sincerity and trusting heart? Are we remembering Robin Kimmerer's way of teaching about reciprocity that I cited in a previous talk? Are we dancing in a circle? Or are we still insisting we must dance if we dance at all, all alone, in a line? special. Look at me. Are we demonstrating our caring for future generations, showing respect for their opinions and wisdom? Or are we bowing as we age? Bowing to the philosophical revolution Hinton talks about, inherent in our love for the world. Are we demonstrating that love? Are we making possible our kindred love for wild Earth's 10,000 things? There's a quote from a book on bowing that I love, a book called The Sacred Art of Bowing. Bowing is a form of being intimate with suffering. And bowing is just bowing. Suffering is just suffering. We put it down and we just do it. The marrow of practice is doing it. In these confusing times, full of distractions and world events and all the ordinary stuff of everyday life, friends, work, cooking dinner, doing laundry, being of service to our neighbors and communities, we need to give our actions and lives direction to speak out against injustice, defend the integrity and health of the earth, protect each other from abuse and discrimination and violence, love and care for all beings wholeheartedly. 
It's our spiritual practice that gives us this direction. And bowing helps us attain our way. It gives us generative stories, wise and graceful voices in the world to bow. Dogen goes on to say, even a seven-year-old were he or she to train in and practice Buddhism and then say that something is Buddha Dharma can be a teacher and a guide for monks and laity, male and female. This child will be a compassionate parent to all sentient beings, just as was, for instance, the dragon king's daughter who had become a Buddha. We should make offerings and pay respects to such a one as the same as we would do to all Buddhas and Tathagatas. This is an ancient custom of the Buddha way. Greta Thunberg once wanted to be a scientist, but now she says, I just want to go where I could be most useful. Everyone else, she says, seems to be playing a role, just going on like before. And I, I who am autistic, I don't play this social game. If we humans would actually start treating the climate crisis like a crisis, we could really change things. People seem to think I am only depressed or angry or worried. And I suppose sometimes this is true, she says but I also have meaning in my life. And then she energetically disputes, people say autistic people can't understand irony. I am irony, she says. And we can also remember that she is very human, just like us, just like the ancestors from the Ahe. Otsukanman, before Buddhas were enlightened, they were the same as we. Enlightened people of today are exactly as those of old. From Dogen, should people deeply commit their hearts to sincere, devoting body and mind to the Buddha Dharma, the Buddha Dharma will undoubtedly, compassionately reveal itself to such people. Among people of all stations, even the foolish and befuddled are sensitive to sincerity. So why would the genuine teachings of all the Buddhas not respond compassionately to sincerity? Even the dirt, the stones, and pebbles are not impervious to feelings of sincerity. So this is the time to remember our sincerity, a time to remember it's no longer possible to take a long time before we pray, a long time doesn't exist anymore. This is the time to face into climate crisis, a time for our hearts to break open with love hearts willing to hear the difficult news, not running away from it, not wasting time of realizing, in fact, that we have kinship 
we have kindred love for wild earth's 10,000 things and to notice the stars shining from deep time beyond inside and outside and all around to make the full commitment of practicing reciprocity. Now is the time to join that revolution of love for this world. Give me a heart that opens long, long and wide and continues to open and open after it's already thinking it's open. These words from poet Rosemary Traumer. And Joanna Macy says, the heart that breaks open can contain the whole universe. We are the whole universe. We see that as we watch those children marching, especially the children who are in countries where they're not allowed to protest. And they've actually often, even as children, been put in jail. So we ask ourselves, what can we do? And if you want to do something, and I really mean do something about the climate crisis where you feel like you're engaged, go to 350.org. That's where Bill McKibben and his organization have been building a movement as well. Ordinary people just taking action in several ways. And they have three little designations, people who just want to write a check, people who want to ha uh, spend a little time, and other people who want to get more engaged and spend more time. 350.org. Their mission, they say, is believing in a safe climate and a better future, a prosperous and equitable world built with the power of ordinary people, driven by renewable energy and rooted in justice. There are 188 countries involved in it, and they say it's a movement rising from the bottom all over the world, uniting to create solutions that will ensure a better future for all, online and in person, grassroots organizing, mass public actions, a global network. Recently, as I watched a short film about Greta on Netflix in a series called Live to Lead, she spoke, I, I guess I would say really, she pleaded at a UN climate gathering of world leaders. And she exploded with anger at them, saying, this is not right. I am a child. I'm supposed to be in school. You are failing us. You've taken my childhood and my dreams. You've broken your promises to do something. You say we young people give you hope. We don't want your hope. We want you to panic, to start treating this crisis as a crisis. We are watching you, and if you continue to fail us, we will never forgive you. Her power and her anger stunned me.
her face contorted, full of heat, has been turning in me ever since, has made me step out of my comfort zone and to start talking about it and start doing something more, to bring forward some of the generative stories, which I know are just as important as the fatalistic stories, the catastrophes, offering the imperfectly perfect whole heart of evolution, the breakthroughs, sharing kindnesses, stories of healing, imperfect sometimes, full of imagination and reimagination in brave new and old ways where we consume less and we give away more. Pursuing giving livelihoods where we trust relationships. We look for possibilities. And even with the magnitude of what's before us, we're equipped with knowledge that can be a form of agency, becoming more and more conscious, more and more aware of our kinship, that we are not separate, and that we are not separate from nature, from the Mother Earth that provides for us generously. We are an ecosystem ourselves, sharing our learnings, joining our, our vulnerabilities, taking in and transmitting the Dharma, whether we are female or male, seven years old, 14 years old, 54 years old, or 72 or 82 years old. We can open to the unknown together and see the climate crisis as one of our generative stories at this moment, not giving up, embracing the imperfect solutions, the generative story of our mighty and courageous bumblings, <laughs> to even allow for and love and always disparaging bodhisattva a failing us bodhisattva, a not forgiving at this moment bodhisattva. We can practice sazen anyway, knowing that through our practice together as kin, who's shoring up the end of the line are the Dharma twins, faithfully falling down and always getting up. Practice with heart, says Dogen. Practice with beyond heart. Practice even with half a heart. You attain the marrow and are invariably transmitting dharma through your utmost sincerity, trusting heart. There's no path that comes from anything other than sincere trust. There's no direction that emerges from itself. All praise to you, Greta Thunberg, protester extraordinaire, 
birth daughter of the eco-revolution. Rigorous, relentless, always prepared. Armed with friends and true information. You, indefatigable believer, never diminished or defeated. You, carrying the torch of your generation's future life. Greta, what are your final words? She says, we children are not sacrificing our education and our childhood for you to tell us what you consider is politically possible in a society you have created. We've not taken to the streets for you to take selfies with us and tell us that you really admire what we do. We children are doing this to wake the adults up. We children are doing this for you to put your differences aside and start acting as you would in a crisis. We children are doing this because we want our hopes and dreams back. I hope my microphone was on, she said. I hope you all could hear me. Finally, this from Jane Hirschfield. Let them not say we did not see it. We saw. Let them not say we did not hear it. We heard. Let them not say they did not taste it. We ate. We trembled. Let them not say it was not spoken not written. We spoke. We witnessed with voices and hands. Let them not say they did nothing. We did not enough. Let them say as they must say